This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. I think I shared this with you already, but over a year or so ago, I uh, talked about how I was working through the Bible. Now, I'm the kind of person, I'm a list kind of person, I love to check off lists. Uh, If I've done something, I might even write what I've done and then check it off just to get the satisfaction of checking it off. I'm a get it done kind of person, and I like to get it done quick. Uh, It was always interesting. Shannon likes to do things correctly, right? I like to do them quick. So it was always when we got together to paint the house, I was flying, and she was going behind me trying to fix my messes. I got it done. She did it right. Uh, We had conversations through that, and I stopped painting. Um, (laughs) That's how it works, right? Unfortunately, while there's usefulness to getting it done kind of attitude, Dee Dee the speedy, um, it's not so good maybe when it comes to reading the Bible. I'd been reading the Bible as a means for me to say, I've accomplished my task, I've checked off the list, I've got through X, Y, Z chapters, look at me, I feel good. And I was convicted by that approach, realizing that the Bible is God's communication to me and uh, an opportunity for me to train my ears to hear the voice of God. And so I made this commitment to work through the Bible slowly, to take my time, to not Put, my, put pressure on me to get it done, but instead go at a pace in which I could really spend time thinking about things, meditating, thinking about what was going on, what was being said, so on and so forth. So I started with Genesis whew, over a year ago, and now I'm into Revelation. I'm in the last book, into Revelation, and, and I love Revelation. It's one of my favorite books. People are like, how can you love Revelation? It's so strange and weird weird, and what's that all about? I don't know. Maybe I'm strange and weird and all that, but I I just love Revelation. I love the pictures. I love the imagery. It captures my imagination. It gets me really into the message that's there, but Revelation's tough. Revelation is tough, and many times folks take it to a place it wasn't meant to go. There's a lot of people that like to focus on Revelation because they're worried about end times. They're trying to predict, you know, if they can see the signs of what's coming and write a book and sell that book for $9.99 on eBay. Um, I don't know. It just seems that Revelation, there's a fascination, but there's a lot of confusion. And what I've come to find out is because it was a letter that was written to Christians who were undergoing immense persecution... It was written from a a leader in the church who was imprisoned because he was a leader in the church, and it was written in code, if you'd like, in a style that was uh, unique. It's called apocalyptic literature, where they use imagery and symbols and numbers that have meaning. Because of that, I think the best way to approach Revelation is to approach it with a very simple question. What is the one message being communicated by the vision? Don't get wrapped up into all the details too much. Just ask, what's the one message? And if you boil it down that way, you can come to find out that Revelations has a simple message. It really is, hey, Christian, those of you about to suffer for being a Christian, stay faithful. You're going to face opposition, but God wins in the end. Boom, Revelation, mic drop, let's go. Uh, Take up offering. No. If you boil things down to the simple message, it really becomes quite profound. Now, one of the key elements that you find over and over in the book of Revelation 
is an element that's captured in other parts of the New Testament, other parts of the Christian message. Jesus talked about it. The apostles who wrote the letters refer it. Um, but the truth of this truth is something that perhaps we have a hard time grasping, but it's important that we get it. The message of Revelation is that though we are Jesus followers, though we are children of God who have been given a new identity as belonging to God and are resourced by the power of God, by the Spirit in our lives, though we will see God working in our life in miraculous ways, we'll have the supernatural power of God deliver us from trouble and help us overcome and help us remain faithful. Though these things are realities in our life and, and we look forward to them and that's why we are believers holding on to the hope and power that God gives to us, though we might experience the power of God, the truth is that in this life we will also experience trials and troubles and difficulties. That the Christian experiences both uh, victory and defeat, and many times at the same time. In the story of the Bible, you see one apostle being executed and another apostle being freed by an angel from prison. One apostle being stoned to death. Another apostle being stoned to death and getting back up miraculously, being alive. The Christian experience is one in which we'll face both opposition, trouble, and we'll see the victory that God provides when we hold on to Him. We will face opposition. Now, this is captured in, in a number of visions in Revelation. One that particularly caught my attention talks about the dragon, which is Satan. And it says, the dragon and his forces made war against God and his forces. The forces of God, the angels of God, were led by their chief angel, Michael. They made war, and the Bible says is that the forces of God won. And they threw down the dragon to the earth. The dragon was thrown from heaven to the earth. And in there, there's a statement, praise God for the throwing of the throwing down of the dragon, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the dragon now roams on the earth seeking whom he might devour. And there we have the picture of victory and difficulty. And the Bible says that the dragon then goes to make war on a woman and the woman's representation of the people of God, a representation of those who are faithful to follow God. It's a representation, a picture of Christians who are seeking to live faithfully. And we find out in the vision that the, the dragon makes war and, and, and he, he rises up a couple of emissaries, uh, means by which he makes war against the, the people of God. The first one is a beast, the second of, of the earth, the second one is a beast of the sea, and then there's a third one. It comes a little later. But the third one is described as a woman, a harlot, a, a whore, uh, called Babylon. The beasts of the, of the sea and the beasts of the land really represent the Antichrist government and the Antichrist religion that typically goes with an anti-Christian government. For those of us that are aware of world events, we might know that there are Christians living in this world who are dealing with the beast right now. Christians in North Korea or China or Saudi Arabia or Iran Individuals who are striving to live by faith but are facing an anti-Christ government who says it's illegal and punishable by death to be a Christian. And they have their corresponding reinforcing religion right there behind them that says, you better follow this way of thinking and believing, otherwise you will suffer. Now, to the early Christians, to the Christians that first received the message of Revelation, their beast was Rome and the Roman religion, the worship 
of the emperor-mandated state religion that went with it. There are Christians right now who are dealing with this as we speak. But what about us, those of us who live in America, the land of the brave and the home of the free, celebrating Fourth of July, a land of freedom where we can go about practicing what we believe, come to church without fear of being arrested or persecuted. What about us? Who's our opposition? And this is where the third, the third opposer comes to mind, is this woman called Babylon. And the picture of Babylon is this, this woman who, who drinks a lot of wine, and she's, she does trade, and, and, and she's filled with wealth and avarice. And, 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 and this, to me, captures the picture of, of a system of the world, a system of the world that promotes, we would say, worldliness, but it's materialism and consumerism. It's the, the promotion of, of comfort. It's the promotion of, of, of having stuff over everything. To me, I think about Babylon, and I think about a system of worldliness, and I think about what's going on in our own culture, this, this, this worldly view that says in order to be happy, you have to be prosperous and have no trial in life. And, and this world that breeds a philosophy that goes counter to what we know the Word of God says, a philosophy regarding uh, how we're to, to be married and how we're to rear children and what defines a family, a philosophy on, on, on regarding, you know, what, come, what is success in life and what life's all about, a philosophy of worldly views. We might say political correctness. We might say a, a, a view of the world that, that's based on materialism. It's a system that's promoted by our higher education. It's promoted by our media. Promoted by many false teachers. But the system, nevertheless, is an opposition. It's an opposition to those who are seeking to live faithfully to Christ. See, in the experience of the Christian life, you will face both divine intervention, the power of God, and you will face opposition. And the message is, stand firm. And so we come to the end of our uh, journey together through the book of Ephesians. And if you remember, the uh, one theme, the one thing from Ephesians is that it's a letter to Christians reminding them of who they are in Christ and how they're called to live by his resources. Why was this letter written? It was written because Christians at the time were dealing with a crisis of confidence. They were, they were beginning to question whether or not their faith in Christ was legitimate, whether or not it was worth living by, whether the things that they had been given were true and applicable to their life, whether it was really the word of God for them. They were coming to a place where they were beginning to be challenged, not only by, by government authorities regarding their faith, but also they were challenged by systems of theology and thinking and, and worldliness that were, be, were beginning to pull them out of what God called them to do and instead to return to living in ways that they had been living before. They were dealing with a struggle regarding holding on to the identity in Christ and living by His strength. They were struggling with confidence. 
And so Paul writes to them and he says, look, first of all, know that you are a legitimate child of God if you've come to faith through Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, at baptism. And in that place, you have an identity. Though you're not a Jew, though you're not legitimately by, you know, part of the people of Israel because that was part of the false teaching that they were dealing with, even though you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, because of Jesus, you are a legitimate member of God's family. Your identity is as a child of God, worthy of receive everything that God promises His children. You can stand in that identity and live by that identity, which is provided to you by the presence of God's Spirit. And because you're a child of God, this is, this is what you're to do as you live. You're to live in a way that's different than the world. You're to be different as a husband and a wife. You're to be different as a father and a mother rearing up your children. You're to be different in the way you live in your workspace. You're to be different in how you treat one another within the community of faith, but also in the community that you live in. You're to, to be different in the way you live because you belong to God. And in living differently, that will be the mark, that will be the sign of God's presence in your life. But as you live differently, and here it is, as you live by the power of God, as you live a life honoring Jesus, you will face opposition. You will face opposition. And the source of the opposition will be from the spiritual realm. Remember who's the real enemy? It's the dragon, but he works through his emissaries. And you will face opposition to your faith, and therefore the message at the end of Ephesians is simply this. Stand firm. Be strong in the Lord. Stand firm in your faith. And we're going to take a, a look at what Paul has to say and see how it works through in our life, in our context. But before we get into the question, the, the issue of uh, Paul's encouragement for these Christians to stand firm, to be strong in the Lord, I have to say that before we do that, I'm going to ask that maybe we do a little bit of thinking if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a follower of Christ in this world, maybe it's important to ask the question before we, we go to where Paul says, stand firm and be strong in the Lord, maybe we need to ask the question, well, what makes me weak in the Lord? If I'm called to stand firm, then maybe I need to first identify the things that make me weak in the Lord. I know for me, what makes me weak in the Lord is when I... Do not give myself to connecting with God regularly. When I do not give myself to the practices of prayer and immersing myself in the Word of God so that I may train myself to hear the Spirit of God speak to me. When I don't give myself to the practices of giving myself to serve in a community of faith that God has called me to be part of, the church, my small group, my devotional group, my D group. I know I'm weak in the Lord when, when I begin to buy into the lie that I have a better grasp on, on my happiness than what God says, that, that I can define love by my own terms, or I can define relationship by my own terms, or I can define how I operate in the world by my own terms, because I have a better handle on my happiness than what God's Word says, because God's Word, you know, is archaic and old-fashioned and doesn't speak to me and doesn't understand me. And so when I buy into that lie, I become weaker in the Lord. I begin to compromise God's Word, and in that, I become vulnerable. I become weak in the Lord when I choose 
not to be obedient to what I know is clearly stated, to hold on to hate, to be unforgiving, to not submit the use of the resources God gives to me to Him first in, in giving and generosity. When I choose to ignore God's prompts, I can be weak in the Lord when I'm taken by a false teaching, an idea that's not in line with God's Word. It may not be in line. I may not know it's in line with God's Word, and it's because I haven't really immersed myself in God's Word, and I don't really know what it says. And this captivating teacher, this captivating personality says this is what God wants. And if I begin to believe in that, and it's not in line with Scripture, and I don't check it with Scripture, then, then I can be weak in the Lord. I can be weak in the Lord when I don't pay attention to the Spirit of God in my life. His prompts, His directives, His presence. What makes you weak in your faith? What weakens you? Where is it that you struggle? Think about these things. Pray about these. Be open to the Lord in this. And now, let's hear what Paul has to say as he speaks to us as the Spirit of God speaks to us through Him. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, Paul is being really intentional here regarding the imagery, the example he uses. His call to put on the armor of God was very strategic because he knew that the people who were receiving this letter, those Christians in Ephesus and in that part of the world at that time, would have immediately thought of one kind of person when he started talking about putting on armor. They would have thought of a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier, tough, well-trained, fearsome, disciplined. The Roman soldier, the, the boots on the ground for establishing the Roman Empire, the conquerors of people, the protectors of peace. The Roman soldiers were not only those that went to war, but they were also those that were police. Symbol of power, symbol of brutality, fierce. And it's interesting that Paul uses this imagery 
as a means to evoke confidence in these Christians. Because the Roman soldier would have been the picture, the representation of the enemy. Right? Who was about to persecute them? Government authorities. How would they have done that? Roman soldiers. Who was about to provide the opposition to being able to live out your faith freely? Roman soldier. Let's not forget, who was it that hung Jesus on the cross? Did the dirty work for the leadership? Roman soldiers. They flogged him. They mocked him. They, they, they tore. They gambled for his clothes. They were the representation, in many ways, of the enemy. Yet Paul says, as fierce and fearsome as these Roman soldiers might be, you are equipped with an armor that is far superior. Remember, our battle is not against these Roman soldiers, but against the powers behind them, the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, you have been equipped with spiritual tools in order to resist them. You are fiercer and stronger than they if you put on the armor that you're given. And that armor comes from God himself. They are the resources that God provides for you to live for him. Many times people think about spiritual warfare as a means of, oh, Satan's opposing me because I'm sick, or Satan's opposing me because my car won't start, or Satan, you know, it's spiritual warfare because I'm dealing with this. No, look, spiritual warfare is this. Spiritual warfare occurs in the life of those who are seeking to live for God, and it involves opposition whether it be governments who are antichrist or religions that are antichrist and more appropriately to our situation, thoughts, worldly thoughts and systems and theologies that are antichrist, those things that are, are coming at us to help try to move us from being faithful to God, from giving up what we have taken in Christ, what we have been given in Christ. And the way to resist that is to live the Christian life. You want to engage in spiritual battle? Then live by the resources God gives you on a day-to-day -day basis. That's the picture. He breathes confidence in the recipients of this message. You are to put the armor of God. What are those armor involved? Truth, living by the truth. Righteousness, living in a way that's right with God. Good news message of peace. Being ready to share the good news message of peace to those who are at war with God. Helping them learn what it means to be right with God as you have learned. Faith, salvation, the word of God, prayer. These are the things that Paul says we're to put on as Jesus followers on a daily basis, in order to be strong in the Lord. How are we strong in the Lord? We're strong in the Lord by putting on, by accessing the things that God gives us to live life for Him, to live with Him. You see, what makes us strong isn't the stuff of the world. We don't fight with the tools of the world. We're not going to change the world by politically connect, political connections and legislation and, 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 you know, exercising our rights. No, we will stand firm because we are with him and we live by him and we live by the resources he provides and we put on the armor of God, which means we choose to live daily in harmony with him by his spirit.
Paul's message to those of us who follow Jesus by faith is this. God with me means I can stand with him. God with me means I can stand with him. That, that's, that's it. God with me means I can stand with him. It means living as people of God, being resourced by the Spirit of God to live for God as we live with God. It's living day to day with God. I like how Dwight Moody put it. He said, my friends, you are no match for Satan. And when he wants to fight you, just run to your elder brother who is more than a match for all the devils in hell. Apostle John said it this way, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, that is the world, because no, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jay Kessler has an illustration that I think captures this beautifully. It talks about deep underwater exploration and the means by which people can go really, really, really deep. You, you go down in a specialized submarine. A regular submarine gets too deep and it just can't take the pressure. It just crumples like, you know, a tin can. So you have to go down in something called a bathysphere, which is a specially designed submarine that's designed with this, like, massively protective armor on the walls. It's thick, plated metal, small windows, because you don't want to have opportunity for the pressure to, to cave in the... the, the submarine, and these bathyspheres go really, really, really deep, and they're able to withstand the pressure, the immense pressure of being so deep because of their design. They've got this massively reinforced wall that keeps the pressure out. But here's the thing. When they go down so deep, what scientists are discovering more and more are their animals, their fish, swimming in those depths. And those fish don't swim around in suits of armor. They don't have thick skins that keep the pressure out. What they have, they discovered, is that they have developed the ability to have pressure within, internal pressure that is able to help them survive in the depths. They're able to be soft and supple and operate and live down that deep. Why? Because they have an internal pressure that is strong enough to handle the external pressure that they live under. And I think that's what Paul is reminding us here. The pressure you will face is inevitable as you live for God. What's the truth? We will live with opposition in this world. But you are resourced by the power of God, put on the armor, that's the language there. You're resourced by the power of God to stand firm, to live faithfully, to be obedient to the Spirit of God in your life, to be light in a dark world, because God with us, God with me, means I can stand with him. And so what do we have? Message of Ephesians. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can be confident in your identity because of Jesus and your faith in him. By grace, God's kindness through faith, the means by which we access God's kindness. At baptism, place in which your identity is changed from being one who is an opposer of God, an enemy of God, to a friend of God, a child of God, one who did not belong to one who does belong, one who was destined to die to one now who is destined and blessed to live. 
You have a new identity. In that new identity, you are now resourced by the Spirit of God in your life to live a life that honors Him in the way you, you treat people, in the way you, where you handle yourself, and the values that you live by. They're honoring to God in, as a husband and a wife, as a father and a mother, as a worker in your day-to-day living and the community of faith called the church. You're called to live for him. And as forgiven child of God, living by the resource of God, you know you'll face opposition. But that opposition, that opposition won't win if you stand firm. That opposition, whether it comes in anti-Christian government or anti-Christian religion or whether it comes in the form of the seduction of the world, consumerism, pleasure-loving, avoiding pain and fear, the kind of things that, that we deal with today in our society here in the United States. You can resist those things. You can live by the truth, dealing with that opposition if you rely on the power God gives you. Put on the full armor. Stand firm. Stand firm. And though I may be shaken in my confidence at times because of difficulties, because of this truth and because of God's power, I can stand with him because he stands with me. It means that I'm tougher and stronger than any Roman soldier. Philip Brooks writes, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Every day you shall wonder at yourself at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. God with me means I can stand with him. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. So I hear this a little bit. I hear church folk, Christian folk, talking about how terrible things have got. Though we celebrate our independence, many are a little shocked at how we have become as a nation. We're saddened that prayer is not allowed in schools. We're saddened at the attack on the family. We're distraught at the killings that we see on a daily basis, the vitriol in politics, the nastiness that occurs in our society. It just doesn't seem that it's America, the America that we grew up, the America we hope for, for our children. And there's this tendency to, to get into this mindset of protectionism that we're like as a church, well, we just got to keep the bad world out. Let's get into our holy huddle. Let's hold on together in this community of light with our doors closed, hoping that Jesus will come. Come back soon, Jesus, because it's really bad out there. Here's the thing. This scripture doesn't point to that. God with me, God with you means I can stand firm. If God is with me, who or what can stand against me? If the dark night is darker, it means the light within is brighter. And our call is not to get to holy huddles. It's not to get to the place where we're tisking everybody and rejecting everyone that's not like us, to stay away from our neighbors because they are weird and they're practicing weird things and they got to do their thing in their house and we're going to stay in our house where we know it's safe. No, we're called to be light in the world. And if God is with me, what can stand against me? The greater is he that is in me that is he in the world. And this is not a time to get into a holy huddle. No, this is a time to engage our neighbors, 
This is a time to put into practice in full display to those whom we interact with what it means to be right with God and to live in a way that is characterized by patience and love, to engage in conversation where we're not compromising the Word of God, but instead we are looking to persuade those who are looking for answers, who are seeking life, who have questions that, that we can, can point the, them to the answers in Jesus. This is not a time to, to compromise on what the Bible says for us and what Jesus taught. Yes, He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let us live by that, not arrogantly, but in humility and living in a manner that will cause people to take notice and ask, what is different about you? And us to say, God with me. By God's grace, I've been saved. And you can too, because Jesus died for your sin. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what crazy beliefs, Jesus loves you. That love is not just theory. That love is practice. He died on the cross for you. He rose again so that you might have hope. And you know what? I found a way to life. God with me means I can stand firm. This is not a time to retreat. This is a time to engage. These are days of opportunity, not days of retreat and being fearful. These are days in which we need to stand firm, stand firm, not give up. To put on the armor of God. To put on the armor of God. Salvation, righteousness, truth, faith, the Word of God, prayer being ready to share the message of peace. God with me means I can stand with him. Let's stand right now and close in prayer. A couple guys will be up front here available to pray with you if you want. If you want to talk to them about your next step of faith, I ask that you would uh, share that with them and we can guide you through that. But let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the folks that are gathered here. And I thank you for your message. I pray that you would help us to uh, put on the full armor of those of us that are Jesus followers. To put on the full armor. To recognize that uh, we're called to change the world by living a life that honors you, life characterized by love, and to share with them the truth, the truth of how we, a sinner, was brought into grace and now find a new identity in Jesus and can live for him, though not perfect, but now are resourced. And Lord, when we face opposition, we may know that we might stand firm, putting the full armor of God which means what? Which means continuing to live by the resources you provide in the life day-to-day -day of our living. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.